When his brotherly love, brothers they made some movies and there was a couple others let's get it over and done with you know proclaimers dude they're like brothers oh they do yeah. an artistic endeavor together like yeah what we're doing here <laughs> i'd like to were you just on the spot improvising a theme song maybe i was maybe that's what it's gonna be because we were like trying to figure out what it should be yeah you know. i had a Probably great idea <laughs> brotherly love um, maybe maybe we'll see we'll see what it is well anyway welcome to the debut episode of brotherly love uh, it's back. a short monthly series here presented by the pod charles cinecast pitting a selection of films from the coen brothers versus why the fairly <laughs> brothers it's voted it's back you you loved it it's back yeah why are we doing this uh well for a long time I had been thinking about doing another versus arc. I mentioned it on the Patrol Cinecast Classic. I'd been wanting to do another versus thing, sort of like we had done with Wes Anderson versus Paul Thomas Anderson, Anderson versus Anderson. It was like a big fun arc. It seemed like a lot of people liked it. It resonated with people. So we were trying to figure out a way we could have some fun with this. Um, and I had always wanted to do something with the Coen brothers because I, I really like the Coen brothers. Um, whereas Phil apparently hates the Coen brothers and I kind of want to get to the bottom of that. That's not I wanna, true. I want to figure out what's going on here. Don't hate the Coen brothers, but okay, <laughs> let's move on. But also it was like, who are we going to pit them against? It's kind of like if, if we were to choose the Coen brothers. Yeah, the Fairly brothers match were kind of like a- Who could match that caliber? Yeah. It was a funny idea. So we're going to go with that. They're riding mirror each other in the late yeah. 90s to early yes. 2000s. So when we were talking about this on the Pod Charles Cinecast classic episode a couple of weeks ago, Phil and I hadn't really decided exactly what we were going to do. We weren't sure if we were going to do all their fucking films, and it's just too much. It's, it's too, too much. much. Especially with our new format, it would take a, take a couple of years. Yeah, it would take fucking take years, year. and we don't want to do this for years. So what we're going to do is, like I said at the top, it's a short monthly series, five episodes in this series. We may. <laughs> potentially talk about some other Coen Brothers films, potentially Fairly Brothers if we feel like it, mm. but that'll be over on Patreon.com yeah, forward yeah. slash the PCC podcast. There's bonus episodes because I feel like there's a couple of films that I really love and I would love to talk about that we're not going to do in this run, uh, particularly with the Coen Brothers that I don't know if Phil has seen or if he has seen them, it would be fun to talk to him about. Mm -hmm. There's also another podcast idea that we are toying with in the background that one particular film from the Coen brothers could potentially show up in yes, because yes. of its themes. We'll leave that there, but we're not doing that for this run either. But what we're doing is we're going to be charting the Coen brothers from year of 1994 to the year 2003 Three. versus the Fairley brothers in that same span, because Hey, it was very interesting. It kept happening with Anderson versus Anderson where they kept lining up. They kept having film coming out the same year. So we're going to chart this sort of period because it also sort of, like you said, it, uh, you know, 
starts to really like show where the Coen brothers broke out post 94 mm-hmm. as well as the Fairley brothers. That was their first film, but they came out with a big film and they were kind of already established after their first film and able to make a few very big movies uh, before it all kind of like shut the bed. <laughs> <laughs> so Phil, before we get started, what is your like experience level with the Coen brothers? Cause I want to know, you said to me yesterday that you thought this film was going to like the Coen brothers film for this episode was going to suck. So you didn't even watch it. <laughs> I'm always, and I was just like, why, what is yeah. this? Why are you so skeptical of the Coen brothers? Yeah, I don't know. I'm always just a bit weary of the Coen brothers. I, I like the Coen brothers. I don't love the Coen brothers. For me, I find them to be quite hit and miss, um, which I think it's fair with, um, you know, there's a lot of movie from their filmography people love and a love that, and a lot that people don't seem to like. And my, my things don't always correlate, like, I really like Burn After Reading. That's one a lot of people don't like because it sort of, I think it came after their huge success for No Country, right? And it wasn't yeah. the follow-up people expected. But like- That I happens every time with the Coen brothers though, because dude, what was exactly after Fargo? It was, well, we're going to talk about it. 1996, the next film, 1998. Lebowski, which is- <laughs> Dude, you could say it's great, right? It's an all-timer, right? An all-timer. But it's also a cult film because people shat on it because it was not a big film like Fargo. No one liked it when it came out. Which is insane to me. But like, I I don't know. I don't remember when they sort of came onto my radar. I think I probably No Country and No Country was very much shoved. You know, that was probably around the time I was getting into film, film. And you know, yeah. knowing who people were and stuff, um, but like that movie was so shoved down our collective throat, and especially like at uni, we we kind of studied that to death. And I just I grew to kind of dislike it after a while. Yeah. Like I get it; it's not my favorite of theirs. And then like all the other Big Lebowski took me years to watch, and I don't know why. I just didn't have any interest in watching it. Um, and well, when I finally did, I loved it. It was just, it was just Dude, that's it, like so insane. That's like, that's it, so you're up your alley. It's, yeah, exactly. But it's, <laughs> it so, no it's so hit and miss. Like, and that's why I'm so, it's taking me so long to discover a lot of them. I watched, I, you know, explored more of their stuff during uni. And I loved like Raising Arizona. Loved yeah. that one. But I wasn't big on Blood Simple. Or Miller's Crossing, I thought both were really kind of boring. Uh, I next the next one, I d- I don't remember liking. I don't remember getting the big deal around Fargo, which is going to make me sound like an idiot, and which is why I'm excited to rewatch it. But I me- when yeah. I watched it, I was just like, I don't. When was the last time you watched Fargo? Yeah, I don't know, like years ago. I think you like, this is why I kind of wanted to do this, I think. And I think it, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of crazy because you probably watched them. It's silly to say, but maybe you're slightly too young. (laughs) Maybe, but they were like, you didn't have the patience. It had like certain, certain films of theirs. Like, I feel like are like 
there's a certain degree of like patience that I think you need to have with the Coen brothers at times. Yeah. But then there are movies that like I fucking love and really hold like closely are some of my favorite movies, like Oh Brother, I think it's incredible. Inside Lewin Davis, I think it's incredible. Uh, a Serious Man, I love. Oh, dude, that film's so good. You know, but then a lot of them are just kind of middling for me, like True Grit was fine. Their last movie that they did together, Buster Scruggs, didn't like. I thought it wasn't I think good. that's fair, though. But like, no, it's just for me, it's all over the place. No, I can't. Yeah. I feel like I can't say, yeah, I love the Coen brothers. Cause I can, every time I go in, I'm like, I really don't know what I'm going to get here. Yeah. Even though I kind of generally like their style, their subversive style. Yeah. I absolutely love the Coen brothers. If I'm going to come from my perspective of them, obviously, like I uh, had seen a lot of their stuff when I was a kid. And, you know, um, when I started to get into film when I was a teenager and stuff, uh, 2004, 2005 sort of period of time, I was watching a lot of their films and like The Big Lebowski and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, And like that's sort of like, you know, right when no country it's coming out like i mean 2007 is such an important year to me so that was like yeah. a fucking big deal Banger, yeah i was so excited and i loved it and it was fucking amazing and yeah so like <laughs> going from there and like you know watching a lot of their old films years prior and kind of leading up to that point you know uh there's so much like about even like the big lebowski you know like they're like on the surface that film is like, and we'll talk about it because that is going to be one that we cover. Mm-hmm. On the surface, that film is like, you know, it, it is what it is in terms of like a fun stoner film. <laughs> but like you can get into the nitty gritty of it and just like, dude, holy shit. Like Roger Deakins, like, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. the shooting of that film, he shot incredible. the fuck out of that film. It's yeah. incredible. Like, you know, the bowling sequences and all yeah, that sort of yeah. stuff. Like the really mundane parts of the film are like shot so well. Like, you know, it's it's incredible. Like never has a bowling. And, you know, we've got another bowling film with the Fairley brothers that we'll have to like talk about as well. And it's going to be really interesting to contrast like how the bowling is handled in the film in terms of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just shooting a fucking film that's about bowling. Yeah. Like I, I, I have a lot of love, but I am totally aware of the Coen brothers being, but it's like almost with anything. I, it's, cause I love Spielberg so much, you know, like one of yeah, the greatest of storytellers ever, but he's, he's got like some fucking like hit or miss stuff, you know? And like yeah, something sure even later in his film career for me, I fucking absolutely adore, but some people would never even watch cause it's a later Spielberg. And I yeah, feel like yeah. it's kind of the same with the Coen brothers. Like recent films might've been slightly disappointing, but like for me, I'm like, who cares? Like, look at the, like, like lineage of films that the Coen brothers have that are fucking phenomenal. Like there's such mm. a, like a murderer's row of like, you know, bangers that come out like, and it's sort of like who, who cares like if Ballad of Buster Scruggs was kind of boring or maybe like, you know, Hell Caesar was a bit of a letdown. It doesn't matter. There's so much shit that you can get into mm-hmm. in the past. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, they're such an interesting, like collective of filmmakers, you know, those two. And, uh, mm-hmm. then we have the Farrelly brothers. I'm going to bank off the fact that the Farrelly brothers came at a certain time period where, yes. uh, they had, established himself in the early nineties and really started to, I mean, like, like fully like break out in the later nineties. Um, 
and for a very small time period were like such a big <laughs> you know a part of such a big part of culture that is cultural touchdown very yeah, like sure. pushing the envelope raunchy uh, comedies. raunchy comedies mm. uh yeah just you know, the attitude era, like, you know, it was that period yeah, of time yeah, for sure. where people were pushing they buttons. Yeah. Um, and I think like I saw all those films in that run and I'm assuming that's probably how you saw it as well. Yeah, <laughs> You yeah. had an older I, brother I, as well. Like, I had an older brother yeah, and we watched the, sh- and we watched the shit out of Dumb and Dumber and Kingpin <laughs> and something about Mary and like me, myself and Irene, which are the films yeah. we're covering, which I'm happy with. Cause those are the ones I really grew up on and really took to. And I've revisited some of them, but like, you know, I, I, I I'm enjoying rewatching them now to see how much they have, you know, held up because some of them are going to age badly or have aspects of them that have aged badly or yeah, just, but like there, the, my experience with them is like, I enjoyed their shit when I was younger because it was goofy and stuff. Um, but you know, you quickly grow out of it and maybe the quality of film dip, but maybe they stay the same and like I just grew out of we it. We get older. Yeah. We get older. But the like times I remember change and they did. You know, <laughs> I remember watching the later ones and being like, it didn't even feel like Fairly Brothers anymore. Just, yeah. They felt like really generic comedies. And in the wake of like the shit, you know, in the wake of like the Apatow stuff and the Will Ferrell stuff, the SNL stuff, the Kevin Smith stuff, even like it just, I don't know, like they weren't adding to the conversation anymore. Yeah, dude. And then like, I mean, the fucking really stuck the nail in by f- coming full circle with Dumb and Dumber <laughs> 2. If you watch that one, it's just And they like, haven't done uh, a film together since. Exactly. <laughs> and now they've gone their separate ways to varying success. Um, yeah. Well, I've this is what, another like thing that's kind of interesting with uh, the Coens. And, they have both and broken up recently. They've both broken up in recent And doing years. their own thing. Like yeah. Joel did... The Macbeth. Macbeth movie, which I also didn't like. Yeah. But then Ethan did, did he do a documentary now? He did a documentary about, was it Jerry Lee Lewis? Jerry, yeah, I think it was Jerry Lee Lewis. And now he's got a new film coming out called Drive Away Dolls. Okay. I want to see, I want to see it purely because like, I'm interested in like where their skills lie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Could they sort of, it would very much like Joel directed and Ethan would like edit and they'd write together or something, mm-hmm. but then they start sharing all those credits. Yeah. And, but yeah, now I want to see like separately what they're good at, strong at. They always apparently always wrote and directed together, but because of like directors, directors guild rules at the time, they weren't allowed to share a credit. Oh, okay. So that's why Ethan always was called the producer and Joel was the director until later, I guess maybe it didn't matter. Cause if you'll notice like the Fairley brothers, I think did the same thing. Oh, Whereas, did they? Yeah. I didn't even notice. Yeah. So like similar thing, the Fairley brothers have broken up and don't, gone their separate ways. Obviously, you know, but Peter's that, that, Peter's gone and done his, uh, big Oscar, Oscar winner film with, you know, which is kind of crazy. Uh, which well. Yeah. <laughs> Green book. And then also, uh, Bobby has done his own little thing as well, uh, which is more felt more of uh, in line of what the Fairly the Brothers Fairly get Brothers. into. Uh, Woody Harrelson coaches the sports yeah. team, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. with kids that are, you know, disabled. Yeah. Um, 
which oddly plays a Don't weird theme in their films. Yeah, uh, they Ju- Julia hate saw that film, people. and I can't, I can't remember Julia like. Um, did she like it? If she liked it or not, I can't remember her opinion. But they also. They also did. They didn't direct it, I don't think. But I swear they were behind the ringer. Yeah, they had. The I think they either one. wrote it or produced it or something. Yeah, so it's a very. And, but hey, I'll get into it. It's weird. We'll get. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, the thing that's kind of funny about this though is that like I actually literally an article came out the other day where Ethan Cohen's doing publicity for Driveaway Dolls. Okay. And uh, he's basically said that he's set to reunite with Joel. For a very nice. bloody horror film, so it's cool. like I'm back down. in line with their first film, Blood Simple. Isn't the yeah. same, same thing with like Wes Anderson, right? Don't like all of Wes Anderson's movie, and I made clear. Um, but like, I'm always there. But you'll fucking I'm- stand for fucking Peter and Bobby Fairley. You'll fucking raise their flag till the cows what? come home, just like you what? were with PTA with his. Fucking boogie nights bullshit. I am not, dude. This is, not, this is going to be a very one-sided competition. I know. I Don't know, you know. worry. I, I'm just like fucking with you. I'm just like because that was always so funny. You were so firmly in the like PTA, PTA ground camp. that like I'm going to like now. You know, I'm clearly firmly like fairly. firmly. I'm firmly like in the Coen Brothers camp, and I'm just gonna. But like, having said that, I'm gonna push you so hard this week. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. Uh, I I think before we start, I wanted to kind of give a background on the brothers. Very quick, I'll read through these uh, just just so we know who we're dealing with. Joel and Ethan Cohen, they were both born in the 1950s and raised in a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota, coming from a family of Ashkenazi Jews, a theme that will play up quite a bit in their films. The brothers Cohen's got their start in filmmaking as preteens with the Super 8 camera. Only Joel will have an official film education. Studying at NYU while younger brother Ethan would attend Princeton to study philosophy. So, Phil, that kind of like answered a little bit of your question earlier about like which one, you know, approaches filmmaking from a certain way. Maybe Joel's Mm -hmm. more of the uh, actual like, you know, actual process of filmmaking guy, whereas Ethan probably brings that philosophy element to it. Like, you know, because their films meander a lot into like weird thoughts of, you know, in the philosophical you know, yes. world of man and versus like the Machine. fucking universe and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the two began writing screenplays together while Joel worked as an assistant editor where he began making connections with other filmmakers, most famously Sam Raimi. Joel notably would serve as an assistant editor on Sam Raimi's cult low budget splatter classic, The Evil Dead, where Raimi and the Coens would become fast friends and work together on a few projects. Inspired by Raimi's use of of a short within the woods to help get the Evil Dead made, Joel and Ethan would do the same for their debut, shooting a dummy trailer for their unmade film, Blood Simple, to pitch to investors. The trailer would feature none other than the Evil Dead's Bruce Campbell. From 1984's Blood Simple to 2018's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen brothers have released 18 features, winning four Academy Awards, two BAFTA Awards, the 1991 Palm d'Or, one Grand Prix and three direct Best Director Awards at Cannes, and one Golden Globe Award. Their work is notable for consisting of a lot of the same actors who tell stories ranging from dark, gritty elements to outright zany humor, often depicting a protagonist, a man, sometimes a woman, versus the indifferent universe, and all fall under the realm of the Yiddish proverb, man plans and God laughs, which <laughs> is a proverb that is used to express humility in the face of life's uncertainties and acknowledges the limits of human control. Now, 
We move over to Cumberland, Rhode Island, where also in the 1950s, the brothers Peter and Bobby Fairley were raised. Older brother Peter would attend UMass Amherst and Bobby would attend Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute on a hockey scholarship. Peter, who was fed up with the sales job, decided to become a writer full-time and he was inspired by a UMass uh, professor to apply to graduate school. He would submit a novel that would later become Outside Providence, which would later be adapted into the 1990 film directed by Michael Correnti, and he got in. And he would later transfer to Columbia University in New York, which led him to screenwriting and directing. And following college, the brothers teamed up to pursue careers in television as writers, notably co-writing a standout episode for Seinfeld, which was The Virgin, 1992, which is an incredible episode. (laughs) (laughs) The success would help them launch into feature films where from 1994's Dumb and Dumber to 2014's Dumb and Dumber 2, T.O., the Farrelly's have together directed 12 features with three Golden Globe nominations and winning a handful of MTV awards and Teen Choice Awards. And yeah, I guess, you know, Peter, you can get into his solo success, winning Academy Award and Golden Globe Awards for Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay for 2018's Green Book. But, you know, hey, they weren't together anymore. And the Farrelly Brothers films often contain road trips originating from their home of Rhode Island, featuring silly characters who have flashbacks to very traumatic events in their past. (laughs) They make use of slapstick toilet humor and are often populated with blunt, profane, working-class characters in smaller roles. The Fairleys are all also often noted for the use of disabled people in their films, which has seen them both been praised and critiqued. And I didn't know this, Phil, but they have won some sort of like lifetime achievement award sort of thing or or whatever, like... For the from some organization that deals with disabled people, mm. for their use of disabled people in their films, F- because from their very first film, Dumb and Dumber, nineteen ninety four, they brought the the kid, the blind kid, into their film. Right? They have the blind kid mm. in their film. Pretty, and bad. they basically <laughs> made an effort in every single film to include I have, no, disabled I've people. That. Yeah, I've no, noticed that. No, but the thing is, they. They actually use disabled people, and that is something yeah. they want to do, and they they have highlighted as something so. Even like to this day, like up to you know Bobby Farrelly's you know, latest film, it includes disabled people in the film, and the story is revolved around disabled people. So like they made it an effort to give disabled people work that way, mm. and they have been commended for that from yeah. some organization for their use of disabled people. But there we go. How they use them. I'm like, this film is like one thing. It doesn't even, it doesn't even matter. Mm, to be honest, yeah. the joke with the kid, the blind kid is actually really funny. I've always, Dumb Dumb it's, not it's, the it's kind of, it's not even, we'll get to it in the next one. one. Yeah. The next film. Right. Oh, actually then. All right. We no, we it's also, the one after. Really, yeah. But that I think I'm we're going to, of. We're going to do it next, though, because yeah, we did decide. Yeah, we're doing the top arena. We, we were going to do them in your order to try to keep it all fair. But, dude, it's two Bolin films. You can't not talk about Kingpin and the Big Lebowski in the same We're just going to be constantly so, referring to the other one. So Yeah. So we're going to just do them in the same episode. So you'll have to get with 
our stupid program. Um, but every other time it will be the same year. And, you know, we make up our own rules. You know, it's our show. We can do what we want. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, Phil, now that we've gotten that out of the way, uh, we're going to pit these two sets of brothers against each other in brotherly fight, love. With fight, our fight. first two films. It's 1994's The Hudsucker Proxy from Joel and Ethan Cohen versus 1994's Dumb and Dumber from Peter and Bobby <laughs> Farrelly. So first up is The Hudsucker Proxy. Ding, ding. <laughs> Once upon a time, the American dream was power. Wealth and success. But in the city that never sleeps, the American dream is about to get a wake-up call. Just got hired today. You know, entry level. But I got big ideas. When the president, an owner of 87% of the company's stock, drops, then the company too has a problem. What we need now is a new president. Some Jerk. My leg is on fire. We can really push around. Yo! Yeah, you, boss! This letter was sent down this morning by the big man himself. Sit down, son. Go ahead. Try it on. Did the board consider you an idea man when they promoted you from the mail room? Well, I guess so. I don't think they promoted me because they thought I was a schmo. The guy's a real moron. Cigarettes? No, thank you. What an imbecile. Come up with this. From Joel and Ethan Cohen. It's fun, it's healthy, the kids will just love it, and we put a little sand inside to make the experience more pleasant. Did you have any idea there'd be such a huge response? This is the president. Oh, I don't think anybody expected this much hoopla. <laughs> Comes a comedy of fame, <gasps> fortune, growth, sex, <laughs> greed, and the American way. Say, Amy, how about you and I grab a little dinner or a show after work? I was thinking maybe the king and I. Uh, how about Oklahoma? Tim Robbins, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Paul Newman. I'm getting off this merry-go-round! Plexiglass. The Hutsucker Proxy. Following the suicide of the company founder and president wearing Hudsucker, played by Charles Durning, Greedy executive Sidney J. Musburger. <laughs> fucking Paul Newman. Just Paul Newmaning it up. He's chomping on so, a cigar. He's so good. <laughs> as soon as the film started and Paul Newman was there, I was just like, dude, Paul Newman's so I was so happy. So awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he's so good. Uh, so he hopes to take control of Hudsucker's Industries by purchasing a majority share of the stock, but he first must devalue the stock because they were doing so well before. You know, the old wearing Hudsucker decides to jump out the window. So he convinces the board to appoint a know-nothing recent graduate and the mailroom clerk, Norville Barnes, played by Tim Robbins, who is basically a patsy. He's a proxy. The Hudsucker proxy. proxy. There it is. But Musburger's plot backfires when Barnes' latest invention succeeds, thereby increasing the company's value. Worse yet, Undercover reporter Amy Archer, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, has the scoop on Musburger's shady dealings. Although she spends most of the time like trying to take down Norville Barnes and then she kind of falls for him. Falls for him, yeah. It's you know, fucking classic. It's, it's, it's Mr. Deed. 
Yeah, it dude, it literally is. But that's the whole thing. I'm not saying yeah. it's bad. It, it's a pastiche of like 30s. Yeah, no, they they like, were very much influenced. It by, works. Yeah, I'm not saying nothing negative. And also, in most people's minds, when you say Mr. Deeds, they're gonna think of the most recent Mr. Adam Deeds, Sandler, the Adam Sandler yeah. film. Which and is like, also good. Which came out sneaky. after this as well. So like, you know, this was before. So they mm. kind of did Mr. Deeds as a remake before Adam Sandler did. Very okay, true. so it's the 1994 screwball comedy written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Joel got the director credit and Ethan gets the producer credit. And it's co-written and features some second unit direction dude, by dude. Sam Raimi. Hot takes out the gate, Phil. That made me so happy. I was so that was the thing. I was joking with you the other day. I was like, you know, I didn't know because I was watching films and prep for this week of recording, and I was like, ah, uh, I'm torn between which. I'm either gonna watch Lady in the Water <laughs> or Hardstarker <laughs> Proxy one night, and I couldn't decide, and I was just starting both of them, and then I saw Sam Raimi's name, and I was like, I did That's not cool. know. I knew, I, I knew I knew they were friends. I knew they'd done yeah. stuff together like throughout their career, but I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in for this because I love Sam Raimi. Yeah. Um, and I love the way the movie starts. I think it's beautiful. It's all right. <laughs> it's, you know, again, I came in, like I said, I'm expecting, I could, it could go either way, honestly. Yeah. I could be like, this could be a bad one. And this was one that's not really talked about or as revered, maybe. I don't really know what the reception was to it. If it was just kind yeah. of a bit too, it's, always that it's thing. a very cult film, to be honest. Like they were on, like, I know they had like a string of indie hits and they just had a big one with yeah. Barton Frank, like you were telling me, but like, it feels like they were trying to, you know, move into a more mainstream thing. It looked like more big budget compared to the other stuff, but like, I don't know why this happens. Like every sort of generation, like people think the way into a modern audience is hard. It's the scribble, you know, like, like in the seventies and eighties, like Steve Martin and people like that were trying to revive that genre and like even in the 2000s you see it like Noah Bowen back in Great Go did it and it like it never works like yeah. nobody ever really captures it and my problem with this movie it's funny it's most of it it's, it's fun like it survives kind of by its leads like I like Tim Robbins and shit and it, it's fucking done it looks Fantastic. Yeah, it looks amazing. I love the way this movie looks. It's like Tim Burton doing a screwball. Yeah. But not Tim Burton-y, but just it, got, it kept reminding me of Batman. No, I get what you're saying. That It does feel like that. It's that early 90s, like, dark. and Yeah, it's that know. snowy, metropol- you know, metropolitan-looking soundstage yeah. kind of thing. I love the sort of geometry of it. I love the, you know, architecture of it, the sets. I love the way the mailroom looks, just the way it's shot, the way it's kind of it kind of keeps pounding these ideas into you and it's funny. It just doesn't hit. It did such a disconnect of like, it's too smart for its own good. It's the opposite, <laughs> it's the opposite of it, of lady in the water. Funnily enough to try yeah. and compare the two. It's like, it's an obvious subversion and parody of the genre, but like, it's not funny enough to just carry away in itself um, and just be silly, funny, light entertainment. But it's too serious for that. But it's too silly to be taken seriously. So, like, none of the character or emotional beats really work for me. And, like, 
there's a lot of stuff that they carry over that is just outdated and I find frustrating, even though I understand that they're sort of sending up the genre tropes. But like, I, I don't like Jennifer Jason Lee's character. I really don't like that character, like that kind of character. They do it in Bojack Horseman, the, you know, smart, you know, the fast talking 30s reported. I'll give you this, Chief. I could tell you this for a dollar. I don't like it. It's really frustrating. It's really, I don't, it just doesn't, you're not, it's not like a Cary Grant movie where people just talking fast and like the Cohen show, they can do it better than any of those movies because the movie like, never stops it's incredible it's got such momentum and pace to it but like just don't really care about anything that's going in like it doesn't connect on that bit but like aesthetically it really works and like it's got a few funny moments and stuff and the performances yeah. are good you know it's got paul newman it's got tim robbins but then it's got stuff it's got the magical black character in the watchtower who can stop time hey and dude that's fine. don't don't that's don't Del Paxson's in there. I know it's Del Paxson. Leave it alone, I Phil. Know, it's I Bill Cobb's right. Del Paxson. All right. He's and allowed. I like that whole, and I like that whole ending even. It's weird. Yeah. It's trippy. I dig it. Like, I really dig it. But like, yeah, I don't know. I felt kind of unsatisfied by the whole thing. But I enjoyed it just to sort of, if I took it as just a sort of silly comedy, because I love the premise. Yeah. And I love the way it's executed. I love the fucking circle, you know, you know, for kids. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Great. It's great. And like, I mean, I'll get, you know, I'll get to in specifics with the cast and stuff. But yeah, so like I had a very mixed reaction watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I always loved this film. Are you a fan of this one? Yeah. Yeah. I had seen it like years and years and years ago. Um, I guess around the time I was kind of getting into the Coen brothers and stuff, I watched it and I, I thought it was fucking great. But, I also kind of, I I mean, I understand, uh, I think on this rewatch, I hadn't seen it in probably 10 years and it didn't quite hit is, you know, the same as it like had in the past. And, um, and also I totally get, I know the Coen brothers love, you know, the whole, you know, screwball comedies. They love his girl Friday. They love, uh, you know, arsenic and old lace and stuff. And it's like, they've been trying to like make, films like that a lot like over the years and in their own little earnestness of it you know what i mean like it's too this one is too satirical to pull that off yeah well i also think like they they do their own version like you know when you think of like burn after reading like Mm. it's a screwball comedy but it's like a modern take on it like it's all i think it's always weird when films and television shows uh, try to do the screwball like modern day, but like set as a period piece, like this film is. Mm-hmm. And you have the characters who try to do the fast talking of the time that was normal in films back in the day. And when you're watching films from back in the day, like, you know, His Girl Friday or something like that, and, you know, you see these characters like, you know, talk that way, it doesn't take you out of the film because it just feels like that's what it was like at the time and that's how you know it was but when you know someone doesn't talk that way like in films today and someone's trying to do that and do the whole old school vibe of throwback to the screwball like it's just it's very weird it feels pretty forced however i do like jennifer jason lee but i get it i get it like if you don't it's like you know it it, and it's funny because i was talking to you about it at work and i you know wanted you to remind me if i didn't remember but i have 
mm-hmm. about this article that I was reading. Um, well, it was a Substack. Someone had written a whole Substack about um, about the Hudsucker Proxy. It was all dedicated to the entire film. It was numerous articles and stuff. And obviously, it was written during the pandemic because they like probably had fuck all to do because yeah. who else is going to like dedicate a whole Substack to one film? But uh, yeah, in one of the articles that he had written for this like Substack, the the writer basically was talking about Tim Robbins being slightly miscast in the film in the sense of the fact that I like, and we were talking about this, I like Tim Robbins, but you had mentioned you'd looked at the, um, you you were looking at something on the computer at work and you said like, it was a picture of Brendan Fraser and you were like, oh, imagine that. Like, And I was like, yeah, but it was also 94. Mm. Yeah, and really broken out yet. But I get it. I get it. I totally get it. If you'd gotten someone else in the picture, potentially that could have maybe like, it could have maybe done something else. Could I like Tim Robbins? Yeah, I remember you talking about this article and what was it they said? Like that he goes too far in it? All right. So everybody in the film, Jennifer Jason Lee, uh, Paul Newman, mm-hmm. it's as if they're like, you know, allowing themselves to be in this screwball comedy. They're playing and it straight. And they are playing it straight. Whereas Tim Robbins, for whatever reason in this film, almost does like a wink and a nod to the camera at times. There's certain line deliveries that he yeah. gives that like kind of doesn't right. necessarily like sell what he's saying because it's almost like he's laughing at like the, the oh, this is stupid. It's self-aware. Yeah, It's yeah, really definitely. self-aware, which kind definitely. of takes you out of the picture a little bit. This is what I mean. It feels like two different films. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of like, I, I hadn't really thought of it and I, you know, and I read that and I was like, you know what? That's kind of true. It's like he, he does- do some stuff, whereas... Especially the monthly stuff, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. Like, but the thing is, when she, Jennifer Jason Lee's character, you know, is, you know, trying to, you know, get him when he's in his drunken stupor before he goes and has his, like, sort of whole final moment and everything. Mm. Um, he, like, sh- when she's delivering that stuff, it's like she's doing it and she's... It's, she's, it it's feels a really real. emotionally yeah. grounded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really odd. Um it's not odd, which is weird because, like, again, like we liked him moment we were saying, and he's able to do that. He's able to bring it yeah. down, and we saw in Shawshank, and we've seen in like High Fidelity. Yeah, you know, that you like you were saying, it's a that's such a good role because he does play it. So yeah, straight. he, he plays it so straight. It's character. so stupid. Yeah, so this is what the article was talking about. It's like we've seen Tim Robbins do that in High Fidelity, yeah. where he can play this really fucking crazy character and who is completely it. like the most bonkers character in that entire film for the Unrealistic, most part. Yeah, like I mean, yeah, fucking Jack Black, silly in that film, but uh, you know, you could buy that there would be like a fucking annoying. I've knew I knew people like Jack we know Black and High. Like that. Yeah, you yeah. know those fucking people. Yeah. Like they exist. Whereas like this character that Tim Robbins plays Ian in high fidelity is just like beyond. It's so weird, but he plays it so fucking straight and it's like so believable and it's phenomenal. Yeah. But I do rate this as like one of those films that I like, you know, when I think of Tim Robbins, I think of fondly like, yeah, I think he's got moments in it. Yeah. I think he's good in it. I just couldn't help thinking because maybe because, I was thinking more like because he he was playing it so silly and it was maybe like, yeah, jarring. It's just not with gelling. That, yeah, gelling yeah. with the rest of the movie. And yeah. I was like, I don't know, maybe it's just not believable. And I was thinking Brendan Fraser is always good at that, like earnest stupidity. Yeah. You know, that sort yeah, of yeah, thing yeah. on his look. But like, I was so, you can't, 
show me this movie and you can't put Bruce Campbell in it. Yeah, dude. When I see Bruce Campbell, I'm just, I'm like, he should That's be a lead. That's the dude. <laughs> yeah. We've always said it. I'm like, that dude should have been a leading man and he would have, he could have done this. Yeah, like, I'm crazy. so annoyed it's such a small role, but it's a Raimi movie and like, he's obviously going to have a cameo, but he's, he's the most authentic person in the movie. He's the only one that looked like he was taken out of, you know, My Girl Friday or whatever, like yeah. one of those movies. He's from the 30, the hair, the cigarette, the, the, yeah. the, not the accent, but you know what I mean? Like the dialect, all of it, the way he delivered. I'm like, he's so good. And he could do, cause I've seen him do it in Evil Dead. He does, he gets to do all of it in Evil Dead. But like, I do like Tim Robbins in it. And I think it worked, especially with the kind of stuff he was doing at this time, especially I said it to you yesterday, I think, like off the back or just before. It was around the same time as The Player. And they're kind of very different characters, but similar movies. And yeah. that sort of attack of one is attack on big business, one is attack on the movie industry. It, t- it totally worked. And he gets to kind of glide between worlds like that really well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like him. I like him in it. But yeah, there's a part of me that doesn't think, doesn't imagine other people in the role. This film really does like uh, still feel very relevant in times. Like, uh, yeah, it feels like modern times, very right? like yeah, the yeah. Chaplin movie as well. Yeah, I'm gonna skim through some of these. I got some like you know notes. I'll mm. skim through them real quick, but it, it's kind of interesting because I think some people have compared this film, especially the scenes when he's in the mailroom, to uh, to Brazil. And it is so Brazil. Like, I don't know if you've oh, seen Brazil. But I've never like, seen Brazil. No. Dude, holy shit. Like, that's probably maybe where you're thinking along the lines of, uh, like, you know, the looking like a Tim Burton film or something like that. It's very fucking crazy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the mailroom sequences. It's like, mm-hmm. in Brazil has that, like, when you're, you know, when he's at work in Brazil, like, at this weird fucking place he works. And it's just, it's fucking crazy. Like, you know, uh, fucking Gilliam, man, fuck him. <laughs> we're not, we're not, <laughs> he yeah. was supposed to be a versus boy, but he's too shitty. I just mm. don't want to touch it. Um, but yeah, anyway, writing for this film, the right, when they start writing the script, it, it actually came back from all the way in 1981 when um, you know Joel and Ethan had met Sam Raimi when Joel was editing The Evil Dead, and they continued working on it because in 1985, Sam Raimi released Crime Wave, which was uh, co-written with the Coen Brothers as well. I still haven't seen that film. I really want to see it. No. Um, yeah. And then they also worked on it more when they were doing the post-production for Blood Simple because Sam Raimi had shared a house with the Coen brothers at the <laughs> time. So they were friends for a long time. The trio were hoping that they could make like a classic screwball film. You know, there's influences from Howard Hawks's, uh His Girl Friday. We have Preston Surge's Christmas in July and Sullivan's Travels, as well as like, you know, mm. films that contain an ordinary man as, as a hero. You know, you have the likes of Frank Capra's Mr. Deeds Goes to Town and It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. And uh, one film critic described the numerous influences from his infelicitous name to his physical clumsiness. Norval Barnes is a Preston Sturges hero trapped in a Frank Capra story and never should the twain meet. Especially not in the world <laughs> that funny. seems to be to have been created by Fritz Lang. Yes, yes, dude. Yeah, very much of a look. Yeah, yeah, I get it. The mechanistic uh, 
monstrosinous, uh, sorry, monstros. God, it's fucking horrible words. Monstrosinous of the mailroom. Of the mailroom, contrast it with the Ballhaus gigantism of the corporate offices perfectly matches the boss labor split in Metropolis in 1927. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just like a very funny. Very cool. I like those influences. I wish they just gelled together a bit better. Like another weird reminder, it reminded me of Elf. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Elf is a really good modern screwball comedy, but like the tone is much lighter. I think it's more specific, more like Capra and like it's kind of similar, ignoring the whole Santa thing and the Elf, but like a guy who starts in the mail room and yeah. sort of works his way to the top of the company. Um, it kind of worked there. Yeah, it's just a tonal thing. I, but I think I think it's something the Cohen and Sam Raimi would later kind of figure out and yeah. do really and learn to do really well. But I think here too many. Yeah. yeah, I think it's literally probably a thing of like, hey, we've we've got this like great idea, and uh, this is the first time you know we're able to do it with a huge budget. So maybe it just mm. kind of got out of control a little bit. Because, yeah, yeah, a little bit. You know, it's just like a thing they had just done Barton Fink, right? And it's like 1991. It, I told you, you know, it won the Palm Door. It was like a big fucking deal. You know, it was it just really their like breakout. They had already done Raisin Arizona, which it was the cult classic. And, you know, they had done Blood Simple, which was loved and stuff as well. You know, they, they had like a good few films and Barton Fink really like kind of put them over the top. And then Joel Silver came and he was just like, I like you guys. I'm going to like, uh, let you do your film, you know, this Hudsucker proxy film. And, uh, I'm going to go pitch it, you know, for, you know, it'll be under silver pictures, but it's also going to get pitched to Warner brothers. And I'm going to allow you Coen brothers to keep creative control. You know, like he's just going to like, for once Joel mm-hmm. silver, the man who like, I'll let you do what you want. Did like, you know, let Hudson Hawk get out of control. And like the man who, uh, had, you know, die hard and all these fucking big action films. He decided to bank on the Coen brothers However, you know, he secured them this $25 million budget, but he 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 wanted to have his say immediately on who they cast in the film. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny. Like, it's so funny. Because, like, in his mind, he's just like, we need a big star. And he pitched them Tom Cruise as Norville Barnes. No. Tom Cruise? Really? Yeah. I can't imagine him in the... Luckily, like, you know... He he basically didn't get his way, because you know I, I that's kind of the last we hear of Joel Silver here, and I think the film does badly at the box office, and I think Joel Silver like probably was like ah oh, fuck these guys, you know Should it's just another cruise. it's another mm. yeah it's another fucking like you know thing with Joel Silver and like post his eighties heyday, like struggling in the nineties and having these clunky fucking films back to back to back to back, like where he's, he's just trying to remove himself and remove blame, you know, any blame Mm -hmm. that he could have had, which I, you know, I don't think he, you know, there's not really much here. He like, if anything, it's like, he's letting them do what they want to do, which I think is Mm -hmm. fine. But it's just funny. Joel Silver being attached to it is just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So the Coen brothers, they uh, tried to get a couple of different people for this role. Apparently, John Cryer went out for it, you know, from Pretty in Pink and later Two and a Half Men. Superman 4? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He went out for the role, but, you know, he didn't get it. 
But ultimately, it would go to Tim Robbins, who was fresh off of Robert Altman's The Player. And, you know, he had proven that he could lead a film. You know, he had already done, you know, Bull Durham as well. So he had sort of a name growing for himself. Uh, you know, Mr. Baseball. Mr. Baseball, <laughs> you know, there we go. He, um, he, he had done The Player and, you know, he was able to lead that film. And, you know, it's, so he was bankable enough to a point where they thought, you know, okay, we'll let him have it. Uh, Winona Ryder and Bridget Fonda were in competition for the role of Amy Archer before I went to Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee apparently had auditioned for Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink, and you know she failed to get cast in either of those either of those films. But you know it prompted the Coens to like finally give her a shot in the Hudsucker Proxy uh, to prepare for the role. Obviously, she would go do her work on famous ladies of the 30s and the 40s such as Rosalind Russell and Catherine Hepburn and Jean Arthur you know kind of all makes sense she basically mm-hmm. delivers that sort of Catherine Hepburn-esque performance in this film you know mm-hmm. um, the role of Sidney J. Musburger went to the classic actor Paul Newman <laughs> like <laughs> I love old Paul Newman, like Paul Newman is great and you remember yeah. him from like Butch Cassidy and shit. But like, because when I was a kid, my first introduction to Paul Newman was Cards. Yeah. And could he, he duck in Cards, like <laughs> yeah. the old, you know, grizzly like race car. Yeah. Um, and it's the exact same voice. It's like Ed, Ed Hudsucker Proxy. So just hearing it, like old man Paul Newman, I just kept thinking of Cards. But that was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It made me feel good. He's great, man. I, I, I don't know. He's, he's really good in this film. He's just like, it's just something about him. Just that, you know, I love just the bastard scene, man, you know, that scene where, you know, he'd meant to come in and give the blue letter and he pitched it in circle. Yeah. He, <laughs> and then he starts to fire and like tried to <laughs> doubt it and filled the water and Paul Norman is just telling him to get out the whole time. <laughs> yeah, on the phone. yeah. And then he's just like, you're perfect. It, it would, it just, They're just the so patsy good. I need. Yeah. Uh, okay, so funny. the studio would really, and maybe even Joel Silver, had kept like trying to push for, like they had a list, all these different names for people for Sidney J. Musburger. And a lot of them were comedians who the Coen brothers thought were wrong for the part. And the Coens actually first went to Clint Eastwood, who <laughs> was unavailable for the part. And uh, they ended up going with Paul Newman. Oddly, this is not going to be the last time in this episode we'll hear about Clint Eastwood. It's, it's, it's all connected. It's all connected. Uh, Bruce Campbell, obviously, he known, known the Coens for decades. He was, uh, like I said, he he knew, obviously, the Sam Raimi connection. If Sam Raimi's doing a film, odds are Bruce Campbell's going to be in it it's one way or another. Yeah. Uh, but he had actually, like I said earlier, he was in that Coen Brothers uh you know, dummy trailer for mm. Blood Simple. He he was in that. So, yeah, he's been around for a while. And uh, apparently he was kind of upset because he thought he was going to have to like, or he was told he was going to have to audition. He was like, you guys know me. Like, you know, like, come on. Come on. Really? Do yeah. I have to audition? And then eventually they gave him the role without auditioning. And then also he was able to uh, be the person who, would help Paul Newman rehearse before filming. And he apparently thought that was the greatest honor. And he apparently had nothing but great things to say about his whole experience. And yeah, he's great. That's he's so really cool, man. He's really yeah. funny in the film. I, if anything, he could have been used more. That's, uh, yeah, that's he's what got I mean. some great banner with Jennifer Jason Lee. Come like, on, like get a highball. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's so, it's so funny. It's just that of the time, like, um, you know, 
bullshit like where you'd have this guy who is just being an asshole like to this woman who's just like trying to be strong in the in the fucking newsroom Work and he's fun, just like yeah. smacking her in the ass or something like that and she just yeah, slaps yeah, yeah, the exactly. shit out of him <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> or punches him in the face like it's yeah it's great. just really yeah. funny uh yeah we got uh like i said bill cobbs he plays uh moses aka del paxton my man del paxton, yeah i get what you're saying it is the you know i mean but they are literally doing that trope yeah you know like and they're also he's he's actually like i guess he's meant to be more of a god character as well like because the Coens play with religion <laughs> a lot like so they have the evil guy who's just in the background like changing the letters and stuff and then he mm-hmm. has a big fight with moses at the climax of the film with the clock yeah and everything. yeah and if I the guess god and the devil he's the devil yeah yeah uh which the coen brothers play with a lot and jesus you need to see barton's thing uh, <laughs> <laughs> know, uh one of my favorite characters jim true from the the wire he plays buzz the elevator operator hey buddy hey buddy hey buddy what do you get we got there I would so quote, annoying. I would quote this guy all the time though in the past. I no. always thought the funniest line was like, Hey buddy, when does the street look its best? When it's wearing Hudsucker. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I worked with a guy when I was living in Philadelphia who was like a former jockey, which made it even funnier because if you've seen the jockey episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia with Charlie's hanging out with the jockeys, like it's literally the same guy. Like it's this small little guy who okay. talks like this. And I worked with the guy and he he basically reminded me of like, hey buddy. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he was a total buzz. He was just like this fucking weird, hi, how you doing, pal? Like, ha. Mm-hmm. Like he would talk. Hey, like what that. the big idea here? Yeah. yeah. He's like, hey, why don't they give me enough hours here? You know, like I can't like put all this meat out on the shelf. They expect it all <laughs> be clean and everything. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Huh? And you know, it's just like Jesus Christ! You're the du- you're no, the elevator no. operator from Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get John Mahoney from Fraser. He plays Al, who's the uh, yeah the editor yeah, the chief. of the paper. He's doing per- it's Superman, dude. Like yeah. it's literally it's Perry White and it's Lois yeah. Lane and Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. If Jimmy Olsen was like a middle aged woman, I know. <laughs> and also every other like fucking film back in the day used to have yeah, this, like yeah. newspapers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You and your fucking comic book pilled brain. <laughs> from, it's from the 30s. Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, dude, this kind of popped me a bit because uh, me being obsessed with 2007 that year, one of the big stories, uh, like in my idea of always wanting to talk about 2007 was the like I wanted to talk not only about those films, but like about the year as a whole and what was going on at that time. And obviously you and I know very much in 2007, one of the biggest fucking things in wrestling happens, which, uh, you know, we'll leave that. At that. Yeah. yeah. But one of the other things that was kind of fascinating of that year was Anna Nicole Smith was a big, big, oh, big yeah. story. And she popped up in this film as Zaza, I guess meant to be like Zaza Gabor or whatever, but like, yeah. Her appearing in this film as his like arm candy when he gets famous and everything is just like I was like holy shit and in the Cole yeah, Smith yeah, like it came out of nowhere fuck. yeah that was crazy uh, we got Peter Gallagher he plays that uh, Vic Tanetta guy who just like was singing at one point I don't know it was just funny to see him oh really, he's the really guy young. yeah I recognized him what do I what do we know what do I know from he's in Mister Deed yeah 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 he's funnily enough the Adam Sandler one. 
Yeah, he's uh, he did a bunch of stuff. He was like in no, the OC yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grace and Frankie recently and stuff. Yeah, okay. uh, all right. Yeah, but he was quite young at that time, so it was kind of funny to see him just like holy shit, just popping in, mm-hmm. like filming like a a moment out of like a I don't know like Goodfellas or something like this weird like yeah. classic <laughs> crooner singer that you just yeah. like watch for a second and then it just moves on. Uh, we have a I don't know if you have any list. We have a crossover. Casting. Oh yes, I do, I do. Uh, yeah, so we get into. He's actually. Uh, I'll include him as a part of the Cohen connections because he actually does appear in a couple of other Cohen. He does, yeah. But we have the Cohen connections here. So Steve Buscemi appears as a bartender. Sam mm-hmm. Raimi appears as a Hudsucker brainstormer, just kind of in the background. Uh, John Polito appears as Mister Bumstead. So I don't even remember, but John Polito is in a lot of like. The Coen Brothers films. Mm. John Goodman appears as a uh, newsreel announcer. You hear his voice. And funny funny enough, Mike Starr, (laughs) just in the background, he has like a line, but he's just credited as a newsroom reporter. He doesn't even have a line. He like choked on something. Does he just choke? I thought he said something. Yeah, the guy next to him is like, ah, he's fine. Anyway, he is in a much bigger role as mental in Dumb and Dumber so there's a fucking connection for you. So when yeah, I saw them, I was just like, dude, holy shit. There's a reason yeah. why we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> it it's is all meant to be. Uh, yeah. So the Hub Sucker Proxy premiered at Sundance in January 1994. It opened a 1994 Cannes Film Festival where it lost out on the Palm Door to Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. So it was at least nominated. It was up for the Palm Door in contention, in contest, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> competition. Uh, it it uh, was released in theaters in March of 1994, and it only grossed $2.8 million in the U.S. and Canada, with a worldwide gross of $11.3 million on a $25 million budget. So the film was a big box office bomb, uh, and it was also it also opened pretty you know mixed reviews from critics. Roger Ebert praised the production design, cinematography, and characters, but wrote that the problem with the movie was that it's all surface and no substance. Tom McCarthy writing Variety called the film one of the most inspired and technically stunning pastiches of old Hollywood pictures ever come out, ever to come out of the new Hollywood, but a pastiche it remains as nearly everything in the Coen brothers latest and biggest film seems like a wizardry, but artificial synthesis leaving a hole in the middle where emotion and humanity should be. (laughs) I'm not that harsh, but it's kind of what I was saying. Yeah. However, decades later, the film is still viewed as an underrated gem and has since gained a very loyal cult following. I would, whole- yeah, I wouldn't agree that there's no substance. I think there's a lot in there yeah, yeah, to yeah, mine. Yeah. I think it's just not all connecting properly. And uh, we literally, the other day, I had like someone, I'm not even lying. I'm not Requested? saying this just for this. Someone like on Instagram was like, you guys ever like think about showing like the Hudsucker proxy? Like we haven't showed it before. We've shown it plenty of yeah. times. But anyway, yeah. they ended it with a quote, you know, for kids. Yeah. And, yeah. That's the quote. That's yeah, so yeah. funny. I love just the no explanation, just the sticking out the circle. I love that every idea in the movie is just the circle. You know, like, yeah, yeah. There's like, it's the straw, but it's just the straw, a circle. And, the circle. And then hit one later, it's the frisbee. And it's yeah. just, it's a world of circles and lines and squares and like, 
kind of fit like a circle in a square peg almost like yeah they did play a lot with the lines and stuff the contrast of the lines because there's like the big tall buildings and like the fight with the the stick throwing it into the circle like the clock you know it's Uh, it's really well thought out and really well executed yeah it's just like it's just weird because it is that like thing of you know it's a you know screwball comedy where people are delivering lines like a screwball comedy back in the day and like, mm-hmm. you know, one of the the lead character, the actor decides not to fully embrace it, which maybe throw it's 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 it, it, mm-hmm. it just like goes against each other a little bit. Maybe that's just where it comes off a bit weird. But uh, the inclusion of the whole hula hoop thing, you know, as a plot device, they, <laughs> they basically so funny. Joel, Joel said that, like, we had to come up with something that Norville was going to invent that on the face of it is ridiculous. Something that would seem by any sort of rational measure to be doomed to failure, but something that on the other hand, the audience already knew was going to be a phenomenal success. Ethan said the whole uh, circle motif was built into the design of the movie and it just made, made it seem more appropriate. Joel said what grew out of the design element, which drives the film, uh, the tension between vertical lines and circles you have these tall buildings and then the circles everywhere and they're echoed in the plot in the structure of the movie itself it starts with it starts with the end and circles back to the beginning with a big flashback so yeah perfect and and it starts and ends the same way yeah and and the hula hoop and the frisbee actually work uh basically not that they were invented but they were trademarked and put into production as toys to children by the same people as the brothers, two brothers. I can't remember uh, their names, but they basically were whammo toys and they, they even funny. created the, the, the slip and slide dude. Like they were, really? fucking, yeah, wow. they were, they did a lot of shit. Those brothers in that company. The, I mean, yeah. the hula hoop is a great choice and the, the fucking scene of the kids, like discovering it, freak it out. Yeah. So good. <laughs> that montage and like the price is going up and them selling out. It's like, it's really, really fun. Yeah, they use that song, the somber dance or whatever it is uh, that's in uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So another thing that makes you feel oh, like funny. it's a fucking Tim Burton film because it's that like... Yeah, very Tim Burton. Well, something that I saw as a kid, but it definitely isn't for kids, especially if you accidentally watch the weird unrated version, which I unfortunately found myself victim of watching this go around. It's Dumb and Dumber! The unrated version, which is somehow worse. It's so bad. Oh, it's my bad. God. I accidentally oh bought God. it on DVD once, and I watched it, and I was like, whoa, what the fuck are these? Does it have the theatrical version as well, at least? No, just the unrated version. Dude, this I is my... I, I think... I think I Dumber is my Star Wars. Ah, <laughs> it's like you can't find I had the it fucking on original version and anymore. I wanted to rebuy yeah. it. Yeah. But I feel like even on TV, I've seen that version, and it's just bad. It's really we'll bad. get into it. Oh, <laughs> Excuse me, could you tell me how to get to the medical school? You go straight ahead and uh, you make the left over the bridge. That's a lovely accent you have. New Jersey? Austria. Austria? (laughs) Well then, (laughs) good day, mate. (laughs) Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. Uh oh, what? What's the matter? You spilled the salt. That's what's the matter. Toss some salt over your right shoulder. What the hell? Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? 
skis, huh? That's right. The yours? Uh huh. Both of them? What's her last name? I'll look it up. Uh, starts with an S. So swim, swummy, slippy, slappy, swimming, summon, swimming, Swanson, Swanson. Maybe send the briefcase. Look on the. Oh yeah, it's right here. Samsonite. I was way off. What happened, Harry? Some little filly break your heart? No, it was a girl. Brada Belcher. I thought we were gonna be together forever. <laughs> she give you any reason? Yeah, I called her up. She gave me a bunch of crap about me not listening to her enough or something. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. That was good. We're gonna rock down to Electric Avenue. And then we'll take it higher. Minutes ago, I bathed them and I clipped them myself. And I stand by my performance. Go look at the fun bags on that hose hound. I'd like to eat her liver with some farver beans and a nice bottle of key ante. <laughs> Imbecilic best friends Lloyd Christmas played by Jim Carrey and Harry Dunn played by Jeff Daniels stumble across a suitcase full of money left behind in Harry's car by Mary Swanson played by Lauren Holly, who was on her way to the airport. The pair decide to go to Aspen, Colorado to return the money unaware that it is connected to a kidnapping as Harry and Lloyd who has fa- fallen in love with Mary are pursued across the country by hired killers and police. They find both their friendship and their brains tested. It's the 1994 buddy comedy directed by Peter Farrelly and written by Peter Farrelly and Bobby Farrelly alongside Bennett Yellen. Bill, hot takes out the gate. Now that you've like re-described the plot, like, oh, it feels like a Coen Brothers movie. Just it does. As I was joke. reading that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was That's reading that. Like, like Coen Brothers full of money that. and people yeah. chasing them and shit. I yeah. think fucking Dumb and Dumb is great. It's a great yeah. like coming out party. It's so funny. I think it, I think it holds up. I think it's infinitely quotable. Like you just yeah. reading that, I had to stop myself saying all the quotes. Like you said Aspen and I wanted to say, oh, the French are assholes. <laughs> You know, like, you know, it's just, it's line after line. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's part of a banner year for fucking Kerry. And probably the best of the three performances that he had in 94. Yeah. Um, I think it's incredible. A fucking game. Jeff Daniels, who's so playing against type yeah. at this point. And like, just what a versatile actor. Like, but both commit to the bit. It's stupid. At fuck, but it's also like stupid in a way like Wayne's World is stupid. Like it's smart about yeah. it's stupid. It's a smart, dumb comedy. Like it knows what it's doing, but it's it's just it's funny. It's got great characters. It's got memorable set pieces. Like like it's obviously stuck with people. They kept they made a couple sequels to it, or one prequel and one sequel, and 
that fucking bit and always lurking on the internet, the fucking, so you're saying that to chat. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. You know, there's bits that have just like become immortal. It's so gift memed, this film. You yes, know? Like yeah, it's, yeah, definitely. It's like, it, it's like an Before infinite that amount, was the thing. you know? Yeah, infinite amount and like it, of possibilities with this movie. And the Farrelly brothers, I think their comedy lends to that because it's so like scattershot and like a mm. lot of isolated jokes and themes that don't always connect. But this has a good plot that sort of gives it momentum and keeps it going. And like, I don't know, it, it can, if I'm comparing it to Hatsuko, it's more consistent. Um, it's dumber, but you know, it's fucking called Dumb and Dumber. And like, it, it just works. It, it, it just it works. works. It just works. It's fucking hilarious. I think it's yeah. one of the best comedies of the 90s. It, it's their first and one of their best. I think it's incredible. I think it's yeah. fucking really, really good. Yeah, dude, I obviously saw this as a kid. I mean, you know, I'm, I was born in 89, and mm. by the time, like, 94 rolled around, I was like, you know, I was watching In Living Color. I watched Jim Carrey's like rise through the early 90s. Like, you know, we've talked about Carrey with, you know, the cable guy. And then again, mm. we did uh, Liar, Liar 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 like this past year. So there was a lot of love. Truman Show we've done. Yeah, we've done Truman Show as well. Yeah, there's a lot of love for Jim Carrey in my heart mm. and through my life growing up as a kid watching Same. these films. And I wanted to be Jim Carrey. Yeah, like we yeah. all did. We all like walked around and did like the fucking quotes from the, the four and, films from yeah. the 1990s. Like 1994 was like, he had three films that came out. All those films from 94 like were so big. Now today, it's funny because we were, t- we were talking about like, oh dude, we said it last year. If anyone remembers, we were like, we're going to have to do a Jim Carrey, like 94, 94 retrospective. Yeah. I think it's just largely going to fall mm. to this episode. Unless if we decide to do the mask, um, you know, as a bono. As a bono. It's sad, but you know, Ace Ventura, there's elements, funny. there's elements that are still great. Very funny. funny in that film. I would spend but the whole episode telling you that the sequel was better. The sequel is better. It is way better. And PTA agrees. There's like, there's a really, I don't know, there's a really, really horrible Unnecessary. Part, unnecessary part. Offensive part at the yeah. end. Yeah. And obviously everybody will know. I mean, and it's very yeah. transphobic. And it's a very specific, and it's very specific to the time because it was yeah. parodying a popular movie at the time, but it aged it in a, in a very bad way. It yeah. like, it's not such a shame because otherwise it's, it works. It's like funny, silly. We also have the fact that, like, you know, obviously that that does. I don't know, man. I don't know, dude. You know what? I think this film, especially if you're watching the uh, original theatrical yes. version of the watch film, the original version, watch the version that, like, you know, they had to basically stick with. I read that basically the, the Fairley brothers were like, "Hey, we are trying to do whatever we could do to not get fired." when we were making Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> because like I said that they like got their start doing TV and stuff and it took them a while. It took them five years to get Dumb and Dumber made. And, you know, no one was really wanting to work with them, especially on a film called mm. Dumb and Dumber. And once they finally <laughs> got someone to do it, they like, you know, were trying to not get fired. And you could totally see it if you watch the theatrical version, which is the version I knew and I grew up with, and then you happen to accidentally watch 
this fucking unrated version, which is like some people fucking stand by it. And Phil, no. you remember I was saying that that could be, I, you remember I said to you yesterday, we were talking and I was just like, there was something I uh, had read online that made me think this could be a breadcrumbs episode. Yeah. It was literally a thing where there was these two, well, there was like someone who was talking about the um, unrated version of Dumb and Dumb. Oh, do I have it? Thank God I can pull it up. Okay, so there's a, there's a website called moviecensorship.com that has like comparisons of like, you know, different oh, like versions all the different of films. Things? Yeah. And, you know, like I tried to watch this film years ago with Julia, like, you know, because I was just like, you got to see Dumb and Dumber. you never seen Dumb and Dumber. Like Dumb and Dumber is fucking great. It's a comedy classic, you know. We didn't make it through the film, and she was just like, "Dude, fuck this!" Like, I don't, I don't oh, find she this funny. It. She hated it, and then for whatever reason, like, she gave it a go again, and it turned out we were watching the fucking unrated version. That's and I think, why, dude. And I think in the past we were watching the unrated version, and mm. there's just scenes that happen where you're just like, "Dude, what?" Like the whole extra scene. There's one in the bathtub. Yeah, like that when they're they in, at the motel. In the motel. That's so weird. Yeah. And like just there's no and it's loads of them like that. It just changes the tone of the movie. Yeah, it's like to, Jim Carrey, longer, like he's listening through funny. the walls at people having sex. They and make he's him just really like, unlikable. Yeah, and he's just like, Oh, you know, she's really like, you know, he's really giving it to her. And they're like, it's just like they're not supposed to be like that horny. Like no, no, they're no, no, no. stupid. They shouldn't know. Like hence, it's like hence why that ending worked so well the ending yeah. you like so much dude yes this is again very funny and i i don't know if julia like <laughs> she'll listen to this and she'll be like fuck off <laughs> <laughs> we were watching this film the other night and i was like laughing my ass off all the way through because it's fucking funny it's still so yeah. funny it's still like it's so dumb and i it also it has to be a bit of nostalgia as well like obviously i grew up sure like, mixed but, in but uh, I think it still plays really well. And there's actually, if you're not watching these extra scenes, there's not really that much bad shit in here. Like, there's no. a lot more homophobic shit that was in yeah. the, the unrated uh, version. The unrated version that was not in, you know, the uh, theatrical version. It was like someone knew to cut that shit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas I think in the future, we're going to get to some films from the Fairley Brothers where obviously you know, they made enough money that people weren't they like, could, they, could they weren't filtering them as much mm. as they should have been. And also the time yeah. changed as well. Yes. There's something about Mary comes out and the fucking late nineties is, you know, just fucking terrible. It's a weird time where like people mm. were getting away with shit. That's just kind of disgusting. And I know, you know, we all loved that fucking shit back then. But when you actually go back and watch it, you're just like, holy Love shit, it this is up. so yeah. bad. Like, it's really, it was really bad. And we were laughing at some horrible shit. And like, to use wrestling as a good, as a good metaphor, the Attitude Era was fucking so much fun. But you go yeah. back, there's not a lot of good matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To go back to the wrestling was weak. But like, and you the, go back to a lot of the moments, though. Even those are fucking yeah. fucked up. A lot of shit yeah. is really fucked up from that time. Um, you know, maybe we're all soft and stuff, but whatever. I mean, this this website yeah. though, we, we did we already did that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this website though is like so funny though because like all right so i'm like looking at this and it's got all the lists and it kind of helped me remember like all the things that i was like oh yeah that was different you know there's a whole scene where you know they're at the restaurant and the waitress comes over and just blow blows bubbles in jeff daniel's drink like i was like that never happened in the original version what the fuck is that um we get uh you know sea bass like you know yeah, there's more sea bass. There's stuff. more sea bass stuff. Like it's like like there's an extra bit in the original scene where he kind of punks him out in the diner. Mm. Uh we get the famous, like obviously the famous like rape scene. In the original version, when sea bass comes to like, you know, Jim Carrey's he, he they have the stopped cubicle. him along along the way. He's taking mm. a piss, he's pissing at the in gas the, stop, yeah. Yeah, at the gas stop. And he sees the number on the wall and everything. <laughs> And Seabass is the one who breaks in. Yeah. It, it's like literally just that. That's all you see. And then you cut. Yeah, and he screamed. And yeah, he screamed. Happy place. Happy yeah. place. And, and then, then Jeff Daniel comes in. Yeah, it, it's, it cuts. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Daniels comes in. He knocks him out by accident. Yeah, and then like, exactly. you know, saves Jim Carrey. on fire. And then you see them. In <laughs> and Jim the, Carrey's knocking on his Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you see them inside the van. And Jim Carrey's like, sort of like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. And then I they mean, move yeah. on. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. that's all you get. In this scene... In this fucking unrated version, Seabass pulls down his pants. He's got his yeah. fucking like leopard, like, it's, you know, print, like really fucking explicit, yeah. thing. It's really weird. And they're talking about, oh, here's your happy place. It's really fucking gross. And then when they get in the van, Jeff Daniels is like fucking with him the whole time. He's just like. <laughs> yeah, making fun yeah, of him. And it's it. a very homophobic. It's like really weird. Oh my God. It's so it's strange. Too, it's suddenly too grown up. Like, yeah. They're supposed to be like children, like you would like, sorry, like the the joke at the end, like I said before. But yeah, they're not. And that lets them draw this line where, you know, they they walk a fine line, those characters. They could just be rude and offensive and unlikable, but they're not. They end up being really sweet, kind of like Jay from Jay and Silent Bob, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the line. The unrated version goes over that line and they're just like, oh, these are just selfish got like older guys but they're like adult men they're yeah, meant yeah. to be like man children stupid though. yeah they're like, just stupid i think they, that's what i was gonna they say don't know mean, how they're th- just like they're dumb they're they not supposed how- to know about this shit like really there's a difference between dumb and stupid dumb is innocent yeah stupid is like intentional almost like it's malicious it can be malicious um in this in this context in this movie like that's what thing. That's what makes that whole movie work. Why they can't hold down a job and they drive around in a dog and they steal a suitcase and <laughs> deliver it to try and deliver it back to Samsonite. You know, like it just it works. It just the closest they have to like the falling out, and you know when, and then Lloyd like sells the van and comes back with a little bike. Yeah, yeah. Totally making that situation worse. Just when I thought you couldn't get any dumber. You go and redeem yourself. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so quotable, dude. It's like, so quotable. It's like, so even, like it just keeps going. And then they go, He they're riding on the back and they're like freezing. And he's like, I got to go piss, man. And he's like, just go. Just go. Just yeah, go. It's really warm. <laughs> and then when he gets off, <laughs> like when they're in Aspen, he gets off and he's like to frozen to him. Or oh, so the fucking the, the bit where they're like, oh, like the, the, glove. the fire, the glove. Oh, here. I oh, my hands prepare. are getting kind of sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. It's yeah. so like, like Jim Carrey's so selfish. He's such an yeah, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like I love, I've talked, you know, we talk about 
film that you bring up a lot. I bring up Three Amigos a lot. Yeah. I love that movie. And then the, then the joke just like that, where they're all like riding through the desert and they're like lips to chapped and they're so dehydrated. And Chevy Chase is like, like fucking chugging water from a, like a little fucking, what do you call it? Like a canteen? Yeah. What do you call it? Yeah. And like he's like spilling loads of it and like just pouring it all over himself and he just throws it on the floor and like, <laughs> like that. And then he puts on lip balm and he offers them lip balm. And they're uh, just like they cough and just stand come down. <laughs> and it's like that joke. That's my yeah. kind of comedy there. Yeah. But yeah, it's so infinitely quotable. Yeah. There's yeah, a it's- town about five miles that way. <laughs> He can't miss it. He can't miss it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's it. That was the thing with Julia. Like, uh, we were watching. We were watching the film, and uh, like, you know, we got through it. Whatever. We mustered through the fucking unrated version. There. It's just certain uh. scenes, and Julia's never seen it before, so it doesn't matter. So when she like watches that version, I kind of feel bad because she's seeing this like, like uh, infinitely more like crass version, flabby cross version it, of it. It just makes it not as funny because it's just weird. It kind of like you said, it changes the tone of certain scenes to a point where it's just like it just gets gross. Uh, so I see it. So, uh, but I have such a soft space in my heart for this film because I grew up watching these fucking films and just loved them. And at the end of the film, I'm like laughing so hard at that scene. <laughs> Cause like, I know what's coming the and it's bus just full funny. Of girls drive yeah, and up and they're like, we need a couple of guys to <laughs> lo- put lotion on us through the summer. Yeah. And then like when he tells him, oh, there's a town down that way. And then he's like, you idiot. And like, I just like busted out laughing. Cause I knew what was coming. And Jillian was just like, she was like, you're laughing at this. Like, cause from the outside, you've seen this crass version of this film. You think like, oh, like, like, oh, like you, like it just it seems meat heady. You know what's coming, but yeah. it's going the reverse where it's yeah. just like, no, the town's back though. <laughs> so funny. It's just so funny. Like it just no, completely I, misses the point, which makes it really funny. It's just it's I'm so not saying funny. Julia didn't get it. I'm just saying like that's why I was laughing at it because yeah. it's like it's so stupid. It's so it's stupid. so it's so funny. But I agree with you. I think a lot of it. I think it aged well, but I know a lot of it is based off nostalgia because I watched this, like, I was one when this came out, and I I don't know when I watched it, but I remember watching it as a child yeah. and, like, not getting a lot of those jokes, like, not understanding the Seabass fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I liked it because it was like a cartoon. It was people yeah, it running is. around doing dumb shit. Cartoon. They get into the suit. They fucking... The, I would go, like, my parents have told me that I would go around singing the Mockingbird song. All yeah, the time. dude, yeah. The Mark. Mark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Guys, guys. <laughs> Pills like, are good. <laughs> well, the thing sorry, is, it's literally like the Three Stooges. And especially when you add him, he's like Funnily a total enough, Mo yeah. sort of character yeah. anyway. Like, which, yeah, the Fairley Brothers end up finding their ways to anyway around and there. fucking that up somehow even yeah. though they'd already made it yeah well, you, did you know jim carrey was supposed to be in that film like he actually yeah, was gaining which been weight great. to play curly but then he decided like the last minute like oh i you know gaining all this weight is really unhealthy but there are photos of him where he's just like noticeably fatter when he's out making appearances places and then he just That's stops funny. gaining all the weight which That's is weird. Really he, like when you see him with that haircut, you just feel like he's a natural mo. But like whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. he's got the mo haircut. 
that's so upsetting the way he looked in this movie. The hair and like the chip tooth and everything. I mean, yeah. great. The chip tooth is that. real, it's, by the way. It's real. Yeah. Yeah, I've read that. He, and like, he just like he usually removed his cap. cap. Yeah. That's so cool. This is this is just funny. Like I found this, you know, website. I was talking about the movie censorship thing, and like I was just saying that this could really make for a good breadcrumbs episode. Reading shit like this, like oh, so like you go down into the comments, right? So there's of course a comment section, and this guy goes, "Theatrical cut is vastly superior. It's a shame it's not available on Blu-ray. I've refused to watch the god awful unrated slash extended cut." And then someone was like, replies to it and says, hopefully any future UHD will be the theatrical or at least include it with the unrated. And then mm. someone replies to that and goes, refuse, huh? What an amazing person you are. <laughs> <laughs> the original poster replies back, thanks, everyone. Uh, everyone I meet thinks I'm really great. <laughs> and then like this, what random, is this random guy comes out of nowhere. He's like, you must be an infinite, arrogant, and stupid stupid all at the same time never actually met one person who didn't like the unrated version i'll call you a crybaby the only thing here that is god awful is your brain man <laughs> <laughs> they sound like characters in a fairly brothers movie vastly superior lmao no no it isn't stop being a ridiculous crybaby sorry bud but the crybaby is right <laughs> <laughs> It's just like these fucking people keep going back just and like, forth. Like, oh my god, cry baby! They're just like crying, like Every, crying in the comments. Is, section. Like everything is fucking gonna like <laughs> seem like a personal attack on everyone. If you don't like the unrated cut, people will be like, "You're a fucking cry baby, and you just can't handle anything." Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like, no, it's just bad. It's just worse. This it's is far worse. The world we live in, though. Yeah. Uh, all right, so. The Fairley brothers, like I said, they've been trying to make a film for like five years and they had a script called uh, Dust to Dust. It was about two dumb guys who had worked at a down and out funeral parlor and they had layaway cells and they ran ads like, don't get buried in the high prices. That script did end up selling, but it never got made. So when they start working on Dumb and Dumber, they fell back on those two dumb characters at the center and then just went from there. However, the big thing that I learned here and I never knew, Dumb and Dumber was originally an incomplete script conceptualized by John Hughes. Really? Yeah. I did he, not know that. He originally wrote I feel like I should have known that. There's no telling to actually like, and I can't even find it. It's weird because Dumb and Dumber is a big movie. I just really couldn't find it in the research mm. I was doing at the time. Like, there's no, like, real info about, like, what that script was like and how it would have worked in the world of a, you know, John Hughes, you know, movie. Like, he wrote this original, I guess, skeleton of this. There's a very plain trained aspect to it, I guess. Yeah, like, If I'm maybe, trying to find comparison. Maybe it would have been, like, more family friendly. Maybe it would have been potentially, like, you know, teenagers or some young, you know, something like that who found this briefcase mm. and stuff and they're trying to take it. And then you have this like crime caper sort of like happening in the background, which obviously could, it is a road trip sort of thing. So you can kind of see like where there could be some laughs from it in a John Hughes aspect. But like, I don't really know how much of the, like the Fairleys added to what, like, you know, I don't know how much John Hughes had that the Fairleys changed. And, you know, that's what's really interesting. I really couldn't find it. So it's, I don't know. 
it's weird. It's just that's like crazy, a, that's insane, and I can't, I can't imagine like what, <laughs> like you know what it what that would have looked like. like. Yeah. yeah. Well, as the Fairley brothers have been trying for years to try to get a movie made, uh, Peter Fairley's agent was the one who convinced them to just do it themselves. You know, get your brother involved. You guys just go and do this. The script went through a few name changes when it started making the rounds because it was called Dumb and Dumber, like originally, but like no studio wanted to make a movie called Dumb and Dumber. So they changed the name (laughs) on the script to Go West and then to A Power Tool is Not a Toy just to get studio executives to read it. And then when they made the film, they just still called it Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. The script was passed through and rejected by pretty much every major Hollywood studio until it made its way to New Line Cinema, where studio president Mike DeLuca loved the script and agreed to make it. But Bob Shea, the studio's CEO, hated it and only agreed to greenlight the film if the filmmakers could secure two leads from a list of 25 comedic actors provided by the studio. The Fairley brothers pitched the script to the entire list of actors, all of whom turned it down. And the list of names was pretty ambitious, with the main two big original names that were pitched uh, by the Fairley brothers being Nicolas Cage and Gary Oldman. (laughs) (laughs) I heard about Nicolas Cage, Gary Oldman, the weird show. Yeah. Uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short both apparently turned down the roles of Lloyd and Chris Elliott and Rob Lowe were both considered for the role of Harry but despite the pile of yeah Rob Lowe it's weird but I guess in the you know early 90s sure young blood you know post uh, Wayne's World you know (laughs) yeah Uh, but despite the pile of rejections, the filmmakers soldiered on and eventually offered the part of Lloyd Christmas to the then relative newcomer, Jim Carrey, whom they actually weren't even really that familiar with. It was like one of the producers knew Jim Carrey from his days as a cast me- member on In Living Color, and they got him the script. And it was while he was working on The Mask, which he shot before Dumb and Dumber. And Carrey had met with the brothers, and they immediately hit it off. And yeah, of course, we get the Jim Carrey 1994. Holy shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, just a holy shit year. He became the first actor in history to headline three number one movies at the box office in the same year. So it was Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, mm. The Mask, and then Dumb and Dumber. Wow. He initially was offered $350,000 to appear in Dumb and Dumber, and he continued to negotiate the final number with the studio. But, you know, his star-making turn in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, immediately gave him the clout to demand more money. And he eventually got paid $7 million to appear in the movie, which was shot on the budget of $16 million. I was going to say, that's half the fucking budget, (laughs) dude. God damn, I bet Jeff Daniels didn't get paid that much. He did not. I've read it that Nicolas Cage was actually still being considered to be his co-star. And he was uh, trying to, you know, get a $2 million increase of pay and New Line decided against it and they decided to go cast Jeff Daniels instead. Cage claims that he decided to go do, you know, leaving Las Vegas instead. So, you know, oh, that was the same time. But, okay. you know, fair fucks to him. He won an Oscar for it. So if that is how it went, went down, then like, you know, he made the right he made decision, the right you know, like yeah, that was... Yeah. Yeah, he could have been like in one of the biggest films of 1994 with Jim Carrey and it could have maybe like taken his career a different route. But, you know, he's only going to win that Oscar once, you know, like yeah, that's true, very yeah. likely, and, you know, so. And he would then. And he was incredible. One of the other most successful 90s movies, though. I think yeah. that's fine. Yeah, yeah. 
The studio didn't initially want Jeff Daniels, uh, but you know he was known for his more dramatic roles. But the Fairley brothers loved him in his you know comedic turn and something wild. So they knew mm. and they appreciated him for that, and they knew what he could do. So they really pushed for him. The studio, however, preferred Harlan Williams. And they gave Jeff Daniels a lowball offer of $50,000 thinking that he would pass on it, and he didn't. He took 50 grand for it. That's insane, right? Oh. I don't know why. He just, you know, uh. he's doing plenty of stuff. I guess he was, you know, it was- It was a big movie He for had him. a Good run him, in the like- 80s. He was known for a lot of big, like, you know, dramatic films and stuff. Uh, I was just trying to pull up exactly, like- Term, yeah, Terms of Endearment. Like, that was like oh, a yeah. big thing, like in the early 80s, one of his first roles. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, like stuff like that. He was in like Radio Days and, you know, obviously Something Wild was more of a comedy role. Uh, but then he started like breaking off into like some stuff, you know, he did like arachnophobia and stuff like that. You know, he was, he was kind of like struggling, I think, a little bit, you know, to, you know, really turn his career around at this point in time. And, you know, he just, I guess, took a bet on it and it worked really well because people could see what he could do. You know, he also got speed that same year, you know, like it's- He just he worth so night. much more than that considering how much Jim Carrey got paid. Yeah. Like, come on, man. I mean, I- Give him I, a mill. I, I, It's probably because of, you know, Dumb and Dumber, but I fucking love Jeff Daniels, you know? Me too. Like, I've always loved yeah. him. Even, you know, in the 90s, it was that film Fly Away Home with the geese and stuff, you know, like that was an Anna Pack one. Like, did you ever see that? Where he like, no. he builds like this, uh, like, f- like flyer thing, like for his daughter, Anna Pack one, and she like flies these geese like home or something. I mean, it's, it's a silly, like, Julia knows it. Shout out Julia. Yeah. She knows it. Uh, but, the, you know, Pleasantville, he was in that and stuff as well. I mean. He was in My Favorite Martian. My Favorite Martian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and obviously, dude, like we talked about it in. The Anderson versus Anderson run, but Squid in the Whale. Squid in the Whale. Holy Incredible shit. Incredible. Like it was one whale. of his best, I think one of his best roles ever. Yeah. He's great. He's so, like, the, the light and always on Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey's incredible, but he would it wouldn't work without Jeff Daniels. I think yeah. he's just as good. And he, again, just so committed to that role, like, just being just dumber than a buck to rock. But, but like, he's like the. S- Slightly Sweet. smarter one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Weirdly enough, like Lloyd acts smarter, but he's dumber. And yeah, yeah Harry acts dumber, but he's actually smarter. He's actually smarter of, yeah, figuring shit out. They don't know. They don't even realize that about each other as well, which is yeah, funny. It, like, because Lloyd funny. very much tries to lead shit, you know. Like, yeah, but Harry's if actually he, like the the one who should come up with ideas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like, look funny. at the look at the whole thing in the film with uh, Harry and Lloyd when they or sort of fighting over Mary without really fighting over her. Like, like fucking Harry, like cons his way into like this date with, uh, Mary and he leaves, like he oh, goes yeah, and tells Lloyd like to go like, Oh, she said, meet her at this bar and stuff. He just fucks him over completely <laughs> and goes, <laughs> has this did. like amazing date with her and stuff. It's so funny. Yeah. Day on the slope. And stuff. Yeah. So good. And then we get like, you know, gets his tongue stuck to the, you know, the thing. Christmas story. Christmas story callback, you know, like that famous episode we've done, you know. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be saying that, not me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Harlan Williams, you know, he he did come into this film, though. He does appear as the highway patrolman who mistakenly drinks uh, Jim Carrey. Get the hell out of here. (laughs) 
I have to say, what are you, was, camel? That was a very funny like moment in the film because like the reaction is incredible. When I was when I was a kid and I watched this shit, like you know, I, I had seen it before, but I was watching it like one time with my grandmother and uh, her husband at the time. It was like my step step grandfather or whatever. He was such a like hard ass man. He was like just mean and conservative and just like former Navy guy, and he was just kind of an mm. asshole. And um, he like never laughed at anything we were watching dumb and dumber never heard someone laugh so hard at the fucking <laughs> drink in the piss scene he was like uh-huh. get the hell out of here <laughs> uh, that's a great thing i always i always have to shout out and it's one of my brother's favorite lines in that way like pull over no it's a cardigan but thanks for <laughs> yeah. noticing <laughs> yeah dude that's a great line <laughs> Brilliant also, line. have to shout out Harlan Williams for uh, what was that fucking movie uh, that he did about like going the to Mars? One? The one with the monkeys? Is there monkeys? Yes. Yeah, the Mars. Yeah, one? yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Man, is it Man on the Moon? No, no not Man not. on the Moon. Um, Rocket Man. Rocket one. Man. Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. Harlan Williams. God, it's, it's just my ninety childhood coming, <laughs> yeah. coming back. Uh, speaking of. Something wild in the scene where Harry and Lloyd skip out on the dinner tab with Seabass, you know, leaving Seabass to like flip yeah, the yeah. bill. Uh, Harry says that Excuse he- me, what is the soup is your? <laughs> it's the soup of the day. That sounds good. I'll have that. <laughs> Sorry. But Harry asks funny. Lloyd where he learned the trick and Lloyd responds that he had seen it, you know, in a movie once. And he talks about how like, you know, he spilled out and then they catch him yeah. halfway down the road. And it was <laughs> great. And he starts speeding up. Well, the movie he's referring to is actually something wild because Jeff Daniels oh, really? does it and it, he does a similar Dinah Dash scam, which they use on Ray Liotta and something wild. Something wild is fucking phenomenal if you've never seen That's it. That's one of the ones I've never seen it. It's so good. And it's what it's one Jonathan Demi, right? Yeah. And it's one Jonathan Demi so good. It's one that you've brought up a lot. We do need yeah. to do that. It's like a bonus thing. Yeah, yeah. Just randomly we should start doing it. Yeah. That's definitely one. So good. Something wild's really fun. Peter Farrelly admitted that about 15% of the movie was ad-libbed. The directors would have the actors, you know, do two takes that adhered to their script. And then they let the actors improvise in the takes after that. So some of the improvised scenes would have been like, you know, want to hear the most annoying sound of the world. <laughs> and then also the part where Jim Carrey is like, he does, the- he does do the same joke in Ace Ventura too. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's he like yeah. doing the animal sound. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Well, this the bit where he leaves the bar in Aspen and he's like, sees the thing about the man landed on the moon. And he's like, whoa, we did it. <laughs> we did it. Congratulations. Yeah. And also oh, apparently stupid, the, uh, the doggy bag bit at the end of the Kung Fu dream sequence. Like, oh, I love that as well. Dude, that's that whole thing. I, I remember that. It's, I, I think it's just like, that it's that stupid music as well. Like, I love the flower girl. Yeah. <laughs> Flowers in the air. Flowers <laughs> everywhere. It's so stupid. It's so it's stupid. It's so funny, man. Yeah, the hotel that they shot the film at is actually like, it's supposed to be like the, um, the Danbury Hotel in the movie. It's actually in the Stanley Hotel, the famous like, you know, Shining Hotel. That's oh, where really? they actually shot this. Uh, oh. apparently Jim Carrey reportedly requested to stay in the haunted room, uh, two seventeen, but he checked out after only three hours. 
<laughs> really? Yeah. That was oh, like, that's time. not like just some weird throwaway thing. I've seen that written numerous times. It's a mm-hmm. like famous lawyer of the Stanley Hotel because obviously, uh, okay. you know, with the film. Even like Jim Carrey connect. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren Holly. So yeah, she plays uh, Mary Swanson. She went mm-hmm. out for- Weren't they a thing in yeah. real life? Yeah, they were. They She went out for a role in Ace Ventura. And she wasn't cast, but she was later cast in Dumb and Dumber. So her and Jim Carrey like reconnected. They hit it off. They were married in 1996, mm-hmm. and they were divorced by 1997. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can One of those famous, yeah, delivery yeah. couples that kind of imploded. Uh, Charles Rocket plays Nicholas Andre, the baddie in the film. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah, he's good in it. Yeah, he's, he's good. Good in it. You know, I think a lot of the Action kind of gets carried though by Karen Duffy, who plays Shay, and then Mike Starr coming back. Yeah. yeah. Is uh mental or Joe Joe Mentaliano or whatever. Um, but yeah, they just call him mental. He's the <laughs> they're the lackeys. How did how did he know I got gas? <laughs> yeah, that I mean that whole fucking shit's so killing great. the bird, like it yeah. just oh yeah. Harry, I took care of it. <laughs> did you ever see uh oh, did you ever see that film called Blank Check? No. Yeah, Karen Duffy's in that. It's just like it's just mm. you know. Not Anybody out there knows blank check? You know, give me a shout out in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Hit it's me great, up. Great film. Great bullshit nineties movie. Uh, one of the big underutilized people in this film. You know, every film's got one. I guess is uh, Terry Gar. She plays the stepmom. She's so great. Like in the one little scene, yeah. she's, in, she's yeah, so yeah, funny. Yeah. Like it's so, it feels so real. Like, Oh, like, Hey, like you guys should hang out and everything. Like just yeah, making yeah. like the annoying drunk stepmom making plans for her. Like so for her kid. Yeah. She like literally does not want to hang out with this fucking <laughs> loser. <laughs> uh, uh. I mean the scene where they go in, Dressed in those fucking shitty tuxedos. And that's, the whole, like, dude, that shit's woman, iconic. The blue the pretty, and orange. <laughs> yeah, the pretty yeah. woman sequence. Like the fucking like, dr- like um, the drilling the nails, the drilling the nails or whatever. Like filing <laughs> down, so disgusting. Yeah. The bowl cut with Jim Carrey. Like the bowl is so funny. And then the them, massage. Like, yeah, yeah. When he swapped, <laughs> yeah. that's so funny. And then them like you know sword fighting into the event like with their canes. It's yeah. So Ow! Quit it. Uh, Cam Neely, he plays Seabass. He's actually a uh, hockey legend. He's an NHL Hall of Famer. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah, I guess, you know, I said that um, Bobby Farrelly was into hockey. You know, it was a hockey scholarship. They loved, the. I think it was the Boston Bruins that he played for, and they, you know, connected with him, got in. Yeah, so uh, he appears, I think he might be in either the next one or he's, Maybe in There's Something About Mary, but he's definitely in Dumb and Dumber 2. He's like someone that just kind of sea bass. Dude, appears. I don't remember. I don't I remember don't it either, but he just, he just appears. Um, Dumb and Dumber 2 is so bad. It's so bad. All right. The, uh, the one last scene that we can talk about here, uh, I think would be good, is uh, the toilet scene. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's Jeff Daniel just selling it like a fucking yeah. He goes to take shit. He's supposed to be there for a date. And then while he's in the middle of shitting, she tells him that this toilet doesn't work. Oh, I hope you're not using that toilet. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't flush. <laughs> yeah. He had been drugged as well. He just had a yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because Jim Carrey gives him the laxatives. Yeah. yeah. Um, him. So we, we have that whole scene and everything. Uh, and it's very funny. And there's like, in the extended version, the unrated version, he like actually tries to pick the toilet up and like 
toss it up. Like, <laughs> he pours the contents out the window, which actually is one of the things that I didn't mind. That's actually kind funny. Of funny. Yeah. It reminds me a lot about something that we'll talk about, I think, as we close up, because uh, you already sort of mentioned there was, uh, you know, another a couple of other films. Uh, so we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But I mentioned Clint Eastwood would come back up. All right. So Jeff Daniels. I, I you know, I don't think Clint Eastwood would probably care much about Jim Carrey. I think there was that famous bit where Jim Carrey was like doing a Clint Eastwood impression and Clint Eastwood yes. seemed too happy about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, no sense of humor that man. But Jim Carrey seems to rub a lot of these old Hollywood types like the wrong way. Yeah, like Tommy Lee. Yeah, famously Tommy Lee. Jeff Daniels, on the other hand, is you know respected actor. People like him. He's done dramatic roles. You know, you can imagine him hanging out with Clint Eastwood. So they're at a, a celebrity golf tournament, and Jeff Daniels was approached by Clint Eastwood, and he told the actor that the embarrassing toilet scene actually happened to him in real life, and he was very triggered by it. He said apparently Clint had gone out on a date, and he was beset with some bad uh, shellfish. And he sped to the bathroom only to find out that it was broken once he had done his business. Oh, no. like freaking out. <laughs> I would love, I would pay good money to be a fly on the wall. To see Clint Eastwood like just faint at all. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be incredible. One, one more thing we have to mention about the OG Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. It's something we appreciate on the podcast. And it'll be a recurring thing, the music. Yeah. Dumb and Dumb has oh, one have, of the best. The yeah. You got the music? I okay. got the music. I figured we'd talk about the music. I just okay, good. Like I'm scene, glad you, know. you didn't skip it. No, 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 no. One of the best original motion picture soundtrack compilation commercial soundtrack. Just incredible soundtrack. One I go back to regularly. Yeah, it's, it's good, man. So fucking good. That's a really good soundtrack. It, uh, it you know, included the single... New Age Girl by Dead Eye Dick, which actually grossed, uh, sorry, uh, reached number 27 on the charts. So I, you know, I went back to listen to like that song because I remember some of the other songs in the film and I was just like, dude, it's great. You know, and I went back to listen to New Age Girl just because it, you know, reached number 27 on the charts. I was like, which one is that? And then I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. And I was listening to it. I was like, yeah, this is kind of like cool. And then that line. Then that line. She's a vegetarian, but she still likes the bone. I was like, oh. Don't eat meat, but sure like the bone. That's it. Fucking hell, man. Yeah, that would not age well, but it's got like, the version of Crash that's on it is really good. Yeah, got Crash the the Primitives. Yeah, we got the yeah. Claimers. We got uh, Too Much of a Good Thing by the Sun. I love that song. Love that. I love If You Don't Love Me. Yeah. Pete. We've Pete. got uh, Heaven by the Gigolo Aunts. A, fun, yeah. a really fun version of Hurdy Gurdy Man by the Butthole Surfers. Yeah. A fucking a song that shouldn't work, but really worked. The Bear Song by Green Jelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. good. It's so much fun. And you've got Crash Test Dummy. Yeah, yeah. Always go down. And we also have, it's coming back again from just, so a, just a few months ago, but uh, remember I was talking about you know, Vanilla Sky, Todd <laughs> Rundgren's yeah. Can We Still Be Friends? Ugh, yes. That song still fucking works. All right, and then there's the most 90s of all 90s bullshit from the early 90s, and I swear to God, I... I had the VHS tape of Dumb and Dumber, and there was a uh, trailer. You know, you remember in VHS tapes, of there course. used to be trailers at the beginning? Of course. Dude. You had to fast forward through them. Uh, I had the Dumb and Dumber, and I swear to God, because I used to watch it all the time, there was a trailer for National Lampoon's Senior Trip, 
on it, which came out <laughs> the same year. It has Jeremy Renner in it, of all people. A young Jeremy really? Renner, probably his first role. Hawkeye himself. The song that is in it is, in the trailer, is Boom Shakalak by uh, Apache Indian, which is in this uh, film as well, where Je- Jeff Daniels is driving in his fucking, like, dog car and all the dogs are flying around with all the like yeah, yeah, yeah. mustard and ketchup and stuff like yeah. that one is like yeah. Not on the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really annoying really awful yeah it's so bad you know one song that you can't find on this soundtrack is loser by beck they wanted it on the soundtrack oh that would have worked well actually in that movie beck declined because he was told the title of the film was Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> He's like, no. Fair enough. No, I'm not doing that. I had something, a great song that's on the movie that's not on the soundtrack thing. Because um, it was in every 90s movie as well. Fucking Red Right Hand. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Nick Cave. Yeah. That's it's a that, that well. weird little scene. Like, I don't even remember it being in the film, but it's the scene where he, like, oh, I got ripped off by a grandma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it pure? I like, got, I got robbed by a yeah by a little old lady on a motorized cart. Yeah, because we never we never see him actually. In my mind, like you know, like because he says he says a really offensive thing. You know, who says the like you know the elderly or like you know I whatever he says, but he like says something really mean to her. Yeah, but she clearly like it goes over her head. She kind of makes a face. Goes dangerous it behind matter. the wheel. Yeah, yeah, the dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> He, he says like a couple of really offensive things to her, but she like is just really nice to him and she agrees to wait and he walks off to go get change for his dollar. And, uh, you know, then you see him go home in my mind. And he's like, the way, the way he says that he was ripped off by this old lady on a scooter or whatever. I think he's lying. I think he was just like too, he couldn't be bothered. <laughs> he just went home. Do you think? Yeah, I think he's just like lazy. There's no way in hell he went and broke that dollar and went back and all of his stuff was gone. Like, I know, but that's the just, look, that's the look on her face because she turned and she's like pissed. Man, I, about to do something. I, I think in my brain, I'm just like, you know, I'm like, dude, she, she was still waiting there. <laughs> she's still there. She that died waiting there. She's a nice old lady. Um, yeah, so Jim Carrey, obviously, he's a big superstar. Dumb and Dumber's release around Christmas 1994, like, you know, made it, it was just like, it was huge. It opened number one. Jim Carrey was like, had already done two of the biggest films in 94 mm. already. And yeah, he's and hit one huge. More. So here we go, cap off the year. And uh, it earned $16.4 million in its opening weekend and it went on to gross 247.3 worldwide Whoa. on a $17 million budget. So not only. Did this latest success lead Jim Carrey to become the first member of the $20 million club? Because, you know, he would get that yeah. when he did uh, Cable Guy. Yeah. Uh, it also helped revitalize Jeff Daniels' career. It would also lead to the terrible animated series. Yeah, you always so forget that the cartoons. So yeah, yeah. bad. I remember. Who the I, thunk? It's so bad. I remember that cartoon. Every, all of those movies. Got a cartoon. They, they all did, yeah. There was a mask yeah. cartoon. I watched which was probably the maybe the, the best mask one. Was good. Could have based off the comic, but yeah. it worked. And then there was yeah, there was an Ace Ventura one that was like the really stupid. One. The Dumb and Dumber one was the worst one. It was the worst. It does not lend itself to a cartoon. And then I'm gonna say this, Phil, and I think you might agree with me. The underrated Dumb and Dumber. Underrated. Dumb and Dumber prequel. You know, Dumb and, and Dumber. Me, 
We've always been like this. When Harry met yeah. when Harry met Lloyd in 2003, I will go to my grave thinking that film's pretty it's underrated. It's I got it. Good I, again. I think I went to the movie to watch it. Yeah, I think like, I probably did as well. I and it's good. Honestly, it doesn't touch the original, and it's stupid. But like the guy they got to do it, do a good job. Yeah, dude. And it Eric, really was it funny Eric Christian moment. Olsen or whatever his name is? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah plays Lloyd. Lloyd. It's really good. A lot of funny moments and like it had a very, because you mentioned the toilet scene. Yeah. It had a very memorable to, throwback, yeah. which is hilarious. Fucking Bob Saget. Bob Saget. Screaming, he shit, he shit all over the walls. <laughs> he shit everywhere. He shit everywhere. <laughs> How do you get it on the ceiling? <laughs> he shit everywhere is the first thing he says. And it's it, so like, yeah. he shit everywhere. <laughs> he no, he genuinely, shit on the walls. If you have oh, any man. interest, it's worth a watch, and it it's even got some nice like tie to the original. Could yeah. it like introduced it like the twin, which paid off a good joke in the original, and yeah. that they're fighting over the girl, and they don't yeah. the two of them. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> so stupid, um, <laughs> but it's somehow way better than the fucking yeah. uh, proper sequel that they did. The proper sequel. This, oh. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You would think that like a prequel that has nothing to do with anybody who made the original film. Like, I don't think the Fairleys, maybe they were executive no. producers, but like they didn't have a name only. Yeah. yeah, they didn't have anything to do with the prequel. Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels did not appear in the prequel at all. Uh, and yeah, like, holy shit, it's miles better. I don't even know if I finished the 2014 Again, I sequel. I went to the movie and I was so... Disappoint. I wasn't expecting it to be great or, you know, as good in the old one, but like, this will be fun. But there's like nothing good in it, nothing redeeming about it. It's not fun. It does that really like just depressing thing where the characters have stayed in time for 20 years. Yeah. And like, it's just that those characters are just sad and annoying now. It's not like, like Bill and Ted, they let them age a bit, but Harry and Lloyd, they're, they're 50 now and they're the same. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It just, and like, it's really badly it, done. I don't know. It's badly done. It's not funny. It's got all the, all the new characters are like not very interesting and don't add to it. And are kind of, it, it's late Fairly Brothers. So it's kind of just weird and gross and offensive in the bad and worst ways. And like there's one, I only remember one funny bit and it's not, I won't repeat because it's a really offensive line, but it just came out of nowhere. Like it Jeff, De- you know, it, it's like them at a conference and Jeff Daniels yells something at one of the female speakers and it's because it's such a fucking like out of nowhere like line that it made me laugh and that was the only thing that I remember Yeah, being funny in that movie it's so disappointing I can't believe like Jim Carrey always said he after When Nature Called he like never does sequels anymore and I can't believe that's what he came back for. Yeah, it's you know? so I'm bad. sure they had a good time. I'm sure yeah, they yeah. had a good time. But I didn't. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they did. And, you know, but it's just like, I don't know. Jim Carrey just feels like he's like doing a Saturday Night Live like joke. They're just phoning like a it jo- in. They're like both really phoning, phoning it, it in. in. It's just not funny. Like, I don't know. I didn't finish it, I don't think. Because I remember I started don't, watching it to. and I was just like, oh, this is not good. But you know, I'll still I'll still rate the the prequel. Um, I think the Dumb and Dumber Er Dumb and Dumber Er was really got fun. some really fun stuff in really it. Really fun. Uh, final thoughts, Phil. We're you know we can rank them if we want between the two films. I you know the two this week of the two, 
I love the Coen Brothers. For me. I, I love the Coen Brothers, but I think uh, I think Dumb and Dumber does like it's as an overall flick. package. It's just like the stronger movie. It's it's funny. I feel like like it. You know, Hutchucker is really well made and like had some good stuff in it. But I I found it. You know. A mix. I found it to be a mixed bag that I couldn't wholly connect with. I wanted to like it more than I did. Where Dumb and Dumber is like a nostalgic treat for me that yeah. I think still holds up. So I, for this week, they '94 got got give it to Carrie and the Farrelly brothers. It was their year. It was yeah. not the Cohen brothers' year. It will be eventually. Yeah. It'll be you know <laughs> next year. Maybe even next time. <laughs> next time. But the next time and the time after that, probably. But like you know. For this, for this one, just could we? I think we're catching the Cohen brothers on like a just like they've just been um, knocked off balance a bit. Yeah. Well, I think it's really, it's a really we're getting a good taste. We're not doing all the Coens, and I think, like mm. I said, we'll try to go and do some of those others, maybe in Patreon or maybe like on something else, because I do think you should see some of these films and maybe get a better idea of some of the Coens that you've missed or something. But at the same time. Mm. I think uh, we're getting a really good mix of the Coen brothers. Fairly brothers are pretty much all the same, you know? Like, obviously, like, it's going to change a little bit with the times as the times change, but, like, the Fairly brothers pretty much deliver a lot of the same words. The Coen brothers, with this run that we're getting, we're getting a very weird mix of the Coens, and I think that is, like, more in, in line of what they are as a whole, as a package, as the Coen brothers, the kind of films they deliver where you get in like, you know, a film like The Hudsucker Proxy is just like a stepping stone into like their next fucking movie that they do. It's like, you know, one of their biggest films. Yeah, exactly. And then after that, you get like the weird, how do we follow up like one of our biggest films? We just do one of our like probably more beloved, most beloved films. Mm-hmm. And then, like, what do we do after that? You know, it's just like, so it's interesting. You get, like, some interesting shit from the Coen brothers. Whereas the Fairley brothers, I think you're just kind of getting, it's all kind of going to be the same. It's going to be par for the course. It's going to be, like, silly, gross-out bullshit. Uh, this one just happened to hit a little bit better. I think maybe a mm-hmm. little bit because of Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels are just great. Especially Jim Carrey at this time. And, two, and the studio, I'd sing it down. Yeah, the filter. The fucking filter. So... Next time we come back to this, like we said, we're going to fuck with the uh, years a little bit. We we are supposed to both be doing, we're supposed to be doing 96. They're supposed to both be 96, but. We got to flip them. We gotta we're going to flip them. So we're going to do Fargo for the Coen brothers next, which is arguably their biggest film. Versus, you know, with the exception of No Country, yeah, but yeah, we're yeah. not doing that. No, with no, no. arguably the biggest film for Fairly the Fairly brothers, brothers which is There's Something About Mary. And then the yeah. following month, we'll come back to doing uh, the Big Lebowski versus Kingpin, which is from 96. <laughs> so but hey, for. it's a fucking bowling film. So that's how we're going to do it. So yeah, that's where we'll be. Uh, ah, fucking Fairly Brothers. You know? Round one, go Round to one. Fairly Brothers. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Brother to love. They still, there's still time to turn it around. There's still time. I still believe in the code. Yeah. <laughs> But let you know. Let us know whose side you are on. Are you, yeah. a, are you you're a brother guy? You're a brother. Guy? <laughs> I'm gonna do that joke again. <laughs> yeah. Let us know. I'm a brother's guy. I'm a brother's guy. All right. Well, until next time, just make sure your heads heads aren't falling off. <laughs> <laughs>